to let's be nerds episode number seven i'm your host Stephen j and today i am joined by my co-hosts gordon and lizette how are you guys doing i'm doing great steve how are you doing fantastic lizette how about you i'm doing good great so today's episode we are diving into the wild world of the dc universe both film and television as well as comic books one thing that we, when we were planning this episode that seemed, that made, made it stand out like it'll be an interesting one, is the fact that between the three of us, we kind of all bring a little something different to the table as far as what we know about. Well, that's very true. Me, I, for example, are more focused on the TV shows compared to the movies or comics. Yeah, and I'm more familiar with the movies going on right now. Um just because I haven't really had time to get into the comics and the TV shows have annoyed me what little bit I've watched of them. So, (laughs) (laughs) And I am the OG uh, comic book fan from the nineties and the animated TV show from the nine TV shows from the nineties. And uh, yeah, got some questions about the TV shows from the WB and definitely have a lot of questions about some of these movies they're releasing. So I think it'll be, it'll be an interesting discussion. Most definitely. With that being said, Gordon, why don't you explain to us what exactly is going on over at the WB? Oh, that's a loaded question right there. What (laughs) isn't going on right now at the WB? They have a lot of movies planned to come out, a lot of TV shows that are either continuing or ending, some of which have already ended, some of which have been ruined by... more cartoonish versions of themselves and uh, of course I'm speaking of Teen Titans which is probably one of the best places to start in one of the biggest downgrades in in my opinion the DC universe from what beautiful show we used to have to what kids get to witness nowadays as no, I don't, I don't even know what to call it. <clears throat> no, wait. Are we talking about the animated Teen Titans, then the uh, T- Teen Titans Go, or are we talking about the live-action Teen Titans? The Teen Titans Go animated series. Oh, yeah. Which mm-hmm. is the more, the only proper way to say it is dumbed-down version of the older <laughs> animated Teen Titans series. Now, yeah. I... I have something to say with this just because I'm I'm probably uh going to get some angry responses when I say this. Um I did not watch the original Teen Titans series. I still haven't. Um I didn't really watch too much of Teen Titans Go either, but I did watch their what was it Teen Titans Go to the movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I know what you yeah, yeah. That, I like I liked it. I mean, it was it was fun. I also, but I when I went to see it, I went to see it more as just a fun, cute movie, not as 
I wasn't going to see it as a DC fan looking for anything particular, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That does. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't good either, in my opinion. <laughs> see, I, I didn't get the full way through it. I don't uh, know much about it. Now, um, the, one quick note for you, and I don't think they've done anything with this since then, but I believe, I, I don't know if it was a post credit scene something um they did at the end of it was the old style animation from the original series they made it like um shoot it's been so long since i watched it it was something like the old the old animation style the old characters were trying to break through the te- the um the newer animation and say hey guys um we think we found a way back to you and everybody was speculating that they were going to bring the old tv show back but I don't think anything's come of that since then. From what I understand, I, they did a movie. Okay. I could be wrong, but... I'm honestly not sure. I haven't followed it that deep as... As much as I like the Teen Titans series, I kind of fell off with the Teen Titans Go all and all that because it kind of just... It turned some really solid and great characters into just garbage, I guess, is one of the words that could be used. <laughs> like, <clears throat> it's just... Okay, so... They because... try to make it too relatable to kids, like, younger than younger than me, for example, as the youngest one here, to try to relate to them when everything was fine as it was. Let me give you a brief synopsis of what I believe happened. Lizette, since you're a little bit unfamiliar with this series. So the initial Teen Titans animated series, uh, I want to say it ran for a total of five seasons. And it premiered like 2002 or 2003. And it focused on Robin, Beast Boy, Raven, Cyborg, and Starfire as the five lead characters. Mm -hmm. And... How they ran the show is each season was kind of like one of the characters had the the story arc. Like, for example, the first season was like Robin and this recurring villain throughout the rest of the show. Uh, what did they, they they called him just by Slade because they don't think they used the term Deathstroke, but that was his actual comic book name. Okay. So it focused on the power dynamic between the two of them and then like the second season moved on to another character uh then i believe the third season was tara who was in the comic books a very very prolific character um in the fourth season they focused on raven and she is actually the daughter of a a a villain named trigon who's very like very much satanic like and devil like so here's what i think happened they had a stellar cast um Tara Strong, Scott Menville, Carrie Payton, Greg Sipes, and Hayden Walsh, phenomenal voice actors. They had constant guest stars that were phenomenal. I think the problem was is they were not they were balancing the fun and like the silly episodes with some of the more serious episodes. But when they did the Raven story in season four, um it, it's such a powerful story arc from the comic books that it was amazing to watch it come to life in animation. But I think that they kind of 
how do I want to say they they sell, sell sold their fate right there because I think they became less um, commercial, and they came back for a season five. They were originally, I believe, going to come back for a season six, and then that fell through. And I think the reason why and why you see shows like Teen Titans Go with the cutesy popsy animation style and the fun silly episodes is they realized they had a large viewership with this show but they didn't like essentially the dark themes and the dark nature of actually following the comic books so they rebranded it in the sixth season i guess i shouldn't say sixth season they basically rebooted the show to sell more toys make it more commercial make it more kid-friendly and stay away from the the traditional elements that original show had that made it so beautiful. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, makes sense from the studio standpoint, um, for sure. The irony of it all, though, is I'm pretty sure their ratings for Teen Titans Go is not what it was for the actual series. I could be wrong, but I don't think they. You know, it's like they had lightning in a bottle and then they tried to redo it and it, I don't think it really worked out for them. And it blew up in their face, kind of. I could be wrong. I'm on a studio exec. I don't know what the, you know what they're really making, but I just I'm, don't think I'm it's actually to Google that now because now you got me curious. I do know that they kept, um, I think it was a contract thing. I'm pretty sure the entire original cast returned for Teen Titans Go. And when you said about like the original animation style breaking through, I think I've seen a poster. I, I've not seen it personally, but I saw a poster where it was like the two versions of Robin and the two versions of like Starfire from the different animation mm-hmm. styles. And they're like kind of flying towards each other looking mm-hmm. like they're fighting. So I'm pretty sure they did or are doing a movie where it's both. Okay. That would be dope to see. Yeah. It's definitely like kind of meta in a way. If they do. Actually, what I was trying is actually brought up. What is this? I found something interesting, too. We might be talking about the same thing. In 2019, they released Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans. Yeah, that's what I actually just accidentally pulled up when I was looking for ratings. So... Yeah, okay, I have it up in front of me as well. Yeah, that's the poster I was kind of thinking of. It looks like they're all fighting, right? Yeah, so that looks like maybe they were building to in that post-credit scene that I'm thinking of. Yeah, that would make sense. What I haven't seen this yet. I'll have to. Yeah. When I get home tonight from work, I'll have to rent this and uh, take a look at it. On May 27, 2021, Warner Bros. announced that Teen Titans Go would be getting a third movie with Teen Titans Go See Space Jam, where they cross over with Space Jam as a way to promote Space Jam A New Legacy. Are you <laughs> fucking kidding Oh my god, stop trying to make uh, Space Jam. Space Jam's not, we're not talking about Space Jam, because that's going to okay. lead to like an hour-long conversation that we do not have time for right now. I'm going to give you my early summary of what I think the problem, one of the major problems with DC Universe is, do you know, and it's the movie, the cult classic Mean Girls, when there, somebody, I think it's Regina George, is like, stop saying fetch. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Like, 
that if oh. I could if I could take DC Universe, that is like the problem is they try to make these weird things, and Warner Brothers in general, I guess I should say because of Space Jam, but they try to make <laughs> these weird things happen that nobody wants. Nobody's asking for this. Like they're they're trying to copy Marvel. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what I was getting ready to say. They're they're in from what I've seen at least get from watching the movies and all that. They're they're trying to they're trying to copy Marvel and outshine them when if they were to just stick to their own style and their comics kind of like Marvel did, they would ha- they would be so much bigger than Marvel ever could be in my opinion because well, the amount of just raw material there is for DC and i feel like they're trying to be that like that stereotypical like quirky i'm not like other girls type of persona because they just don't own the fact that yes they want to be marvel they have to be like oh no we're we're doing our own thing and like we have blood and gore and we have this and we have the f word and we're you know we're different and we're unique and we're spicy it's like you're you just need to do do one thing, stick to it, and do it well. Don't try to like pretend that you're something you're not. That you're like noir and you're artsy and you you like. I don't. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like they they can't just admit it. They have to like try to put their own spin on it, and it makes everything very disjointed. I yeah, because fully agree with you. Yeah, some something that I noticed too, especially when like they started. Um, really started trying movies out and you could tell that they were trying to compete with marvel it, it seemed like they were trying to compete with them and then surpass them without putting in all the years that mm-hmm. has been put into marvel because marvel has been i don't necessarily want to call it a slow build but it, it kind of was they when they first started doing their movies they did one or two that could have been standalone in case they flopped. Like they weren't counting on the, the plan was build this big universe, but if it didn't happen, they could have stopped at any point in those first couple movies and it would have been okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and they, they built, yeah, they built Sorry. up to it. No, you're okay. They built up to Avengers. They, they, they put the time in, they got everybody it over a couple years to get mm-hmm. to know these characters and then dc comes in and you had just a couple you had uh, man of steel and then you had batman versus superman and then they just dropped justice league i, I think yeah. the the first wonder woman movie might have come out first it did yeah. it came out first, and then justice league but there wasn't enough time for you to get to know most of the characters or like them in the movie setting yeah and that, so that sorry again so of <laughs> uh, that uh exactly what i wanted to say and also add that they threw in in their justice league movies cyborg and the flash which we have never like they have never done any work with yet they haven't had their own shows or movies or anything introducing them mm-hmm. letting us like let us letting us get to know them in their backstory they just kind of threw it in there hoping that they're big enough characters that we're going to recognize them which of course we are they're two very prominent characters in DC but they can't just 
throw them into a movie, especially when there's the CW app putting out TV shows like The Flash, and everyone's so used to seeing that guy as The Flash to just then, without any new backstory, bring in a completely new actor to play the guy in the movie. Yeah, and... Oh, go on. I was going to say, and that brings me back to my point of it being disjointed. Just pick something and do it well. Like with Marvel, the only TV show that they actually acknowledged was the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The whole like Netflix, like Daredevil stuff, they licensed that to Netflix to do those shows and had no intention of bringing the characters in at th- that particular time to ca- cause what you're describing with like the flash being on cw but then ezra miller is on your screen playing like playing what <laughs> i don't even words... know i'm not even gonna finish that sentence <laughs> you don't have to i'll finish it for you if i don't know if either of you seen the flash the tv show or not no. but when when i watch the flash his running seems organic it seems like it seems it's what i would expect to see if I were to see a speedster run by me and be able yeah. to perceive how fast he's running, compared yep. to Ezra Miller fucking throwing <laughs> his hands behind his head with oh each step God. he takes, his legs going outstretched back like a fucking ballerina. And I just, I don't understand. I don't understand why they thought that looked good. I don't know how that made it past the fucking, sorry for all the swears, <laughs> past the uh, idea board to look good. It doesn't. It, you know, it just made I had, me hate him more. I had never thought to compare that. I have seen a couple episodes of the Flash TV show. Um, again, I, I didn't really get into it, mostly because I didn't watch it from the beginning. I think I came in in the middle of like season one because I walked in on my... And I was just like, oh, you know what? Nah, I'll, I'll come back. Um, but... You, you're right. I, I never thought to compare those running styles because the, the their running sequences are so awkward. They look like somebody's using like um I don't know like an old style action figure and like or like a puppet like, thing like claymation like, almost. Yeah, <laughs> like it's exaggerated and it, it just makes you sit it there need and to be. yeah. You're sitting there watching him going, like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, what? What? It, <laughs> it made bad. me cringe so hard. And, it's, like, I'm sure you... I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, uh, Snyder cut of Justice Yes, League. I have. I have, because I it was... <laughs> honestly, so I love the DC Universe as much as Marvel. So I was really interested to sit down for four hours and waste my time watching that movie. Which... <laughs> After watching it, definitely a waste of time. But they definitely cut out some of the best parts, which sucks. Yeah, but... my... Well, we're probably going to get into a little bit more in-depth discussion of this in a minute. But I felt like the original... Or the, the, the theatrical, I suppose it should be called, cut of Justice League. I watched that once in theaters and... I had to convince my cousins, like, I didn't want to sit there and watch it. I was so angry within the first, like, 20 minutes, if, if not a shorter period of time. 
that I took with me were sitting there next to me going, we want to leave, Liza. We, we want to get up. We don't want to finish watching this. And I was like, I paid for your tickets. You're going to sit your butts in those seats and we're going to watch the train wreck from start to finish because I paid for it. I don't you, ch- your house. You, guys, you guys need to experience some form of childhood trauma to grow into strong adults. <laughs> and the worst part is with the uh, Snyder cut of the Justice League, everyone was like, the one scene that kept getting pointed out was Ezra Miller, a.k.a. The Flash, breaking through a piece of glass with his finger. Like, yeah, making such a big deal that that was, like, the biggest scene in the m- movie when, to be honest, I don't think I saw that in the entirety of the Snyder Cut. I don't, I think that was just a teaser scene. I don't even think no. it was in the Snyder Cut. It was in, it was in there. It was? Okay, then I just it fell asleep while watching it. I didn't really <laughs> like it. And so but that's just my, such an uneventful scene to get hyped up about. He's a speedster. Yeah, yeah he's going to be able to break fucking glass. Like, I don't, he can throw lightning. I don't know if they were getting hyped up about it, about it so much because the whole thing was. I don't. I don't know. Hold on. Let me. Let me think about how I want to. How I want to discuss this. Um. The whole thing was done in slow-mo, obviously, so that you could see everything that was going on. The cuts of it were odd because you went from, I think he he was at like a doggy daycare type place or something when he saw a car accident happen outside and he went out to save somebody, but like the cuts kept going back and forth between what he was doing to what in the crash, the one who caused the crash, who I believe, if, if I'm remembering this correctly, if I'm not somebody, please comment or one of you guys correct me. Um, the driver who caused the crash was eating like a hamburger or something and one of the sesame seeds off the bun, they were focusing, like some of the cuts were to that sesame seed falling in the truck. Yeah, but the, yeah, I think the, you're right about that. And then it would cut back to what Flash was doing, and then it would cut back to falling, and it was just like, okay, this is interesting. I, I think I know what they want to do with that, which, if this might sound stupid, I think they were trying to show us like how fast he was going, so to yeah. speak, like try to give us a scale of the time when that is probably the worst possible way they could have done it. <laughs> You're already get showing. They're already showing us how fast he's going by, how just how fast he can get to the accident and save everyone while the accident's happening. Yeah. There's no need to focus on any external factor other than the fact that he can run fast. We don't need an explanation. We don't need to see it. We are all very well aware about how fast he can run yeah. from the comics and TV shows. Can I go on a rant on how I think they should have done this whole series? And this is coming Please. from this is coming from a comic <laughs> book standpoint. Um, I understand that maybe they did not want to do the build up that Marvel did, and maybe they wanted to jump in faster and you know make make themselves quirky, like oh we can do it in two or three films or whatever, and have it all established. There was a comic arc in the 90s called The Death of Superman. Obviously, 
and this is terrible because I'm not really good with the movies. Correct me if I'm wrong. Superman versus Batman, Superman dies. That's where we, we pick up a Justice League, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Here's the thing. They could have easily covered the death of Superman in the first movie and had it be a flashback sequence of Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and Lois Lane interacting because that is the, the three of the superheroes of the, the trinity of DC, so to speak. So mm-hmm. have it be the cold opening of the artwork of all of the superheroes carrying Superman's casket as it was in the 90s in that, that comic book arc. You know, the pallbearers and everyone's crying and what have you. Have that be like a where do we go from here in the present day? Have it be flashbacks towards Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman's relationships, uh, the potential love interest that happened between Wonder Woman and Batman, uh, Superman and Lois Lane, you know, their engagement, potential marriage, what have you. And have it be a situation where the three of them are friends and are discussing like, wow, this is, uh, have it be Superman's vision to have like a Justice League and have it be like, you know, they could be in the Batcave talking about like, okay, we we know this Green Arrow and this Black Canary, they're like a team over in, what's the city, Gordon? The Green Uh, Arrow. Star City. Yeah. we're, We're hearing all this stuff about them. Like maybe we should contact them and see if they want to form a, like a league. So have that be like in a planning stage. In the present day, Batman and Wonder Woman are sitting there like, what do we do? Well, let's let's now that we lost the you know most powerful man on the planet, let's we need this Justice League now more than ever, and have them go out and assemble the league in like Superman's honor. And while the whole time Batman's you know behind the scenes figuring out oh. Superman's not actually dead. He's in the Phantom Zone, because that's like I believe what happened in the comic books. They just had to like bring him back, uh-huh. and like build it up that way, and throw in like the villains are going crazy because now that Superman's dead. They they think they can just get away with anything, and then you'll have you could have Wonder Woman be the powerhouse that she is, going around enlisting and recruiting all these people, um, maybe even have a will- already wheelchair bound Barbara Gordon step in as Oracle you know, doing the computer work um, of, like, finding these superheroes. That's, um, how, that's how this could have been done. And they could have done this in, like, one or two movies and had the entire DC universe established. And by, you know, movie two, they're in the Watchtower satellite in space taking shift work, watching the world, you know? Yeah, I think that would have been... Well, it definitely would have been much more powerful than what we have going on right now. But it also would have captured attention because then it's like, oh, okay, what stories are they going to tell us? Like, these are the stories that we know, but how are they going to how are they going to convey some of this to the screen? I personally really like that idea of telling stuff in flashbacks, like stories kind of simultaneously. I I think that would have been really interesting and that would have been different from Marvel which would have let them shine separately rather than trying to compete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, definitely. Send, send me a contract, Warner Brothers. I can help you. <laughs> <clears throat> but the thing is, and I, I kind of understand this because and I hate to admit this because I love DC so much. There are so many powerful characters that I'm obsessed with, but I also can recognize that I don't know if they could carry 
their own independent film. And maybe that's where they were coming from, like how they f- just, you know, threw in Flash and Cyborg and really just kind of half assed it. Like, let's take example, like a character like Black Canary. She was much better when she's on an ensemble because she stands out that way, but she doesn't have to be the dynamic. Yeah, like she's not a Black Widow. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So I kind of understand where they were like nervous about that. So there's workarounds where you could give her a subplot with Green Arrow and like they're uh, apprehensive to join the Justice League because they, you know, they're doing their own thing. Well, ironically, right after they reject Wonder Woman's offer, a villain comes along that they're like, oh, crap, we actually need backup. You know, like you could, I don't know. It just frustrates me. Well, I'm. You brought up uh, Superman in the Phantom Verse Phantom. and all that fun stuff. Phantom Zone, yes. Phantom Zone, thank you. And it, for some reason, it reminded me of a a couple pages of a comic I found while scrolling through uh, the interwebs. And it was whenever um, Superman took up the mantle of Atlas, which I believe is his name, who. And I think it's Greek mythology quite literally, like, holds the world up. Yes. And um, so in this comic, Superman takes his place to give him the day off to go to, for Atlas to go see his daughter's wedding. And throughout the entirety of the comic, we see flashes to... um, his city where all the, with the flash wonder woman, Batman, every other superhero that is the main member of the justice league at the time, helping take over Superman's roles to protect his city, which they very easily could have used that dynamic in the movie. Yeah. If you followed that at all. Kind of. It's I, a, I think I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, they 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 could have very easily left Superman dead for a little longer, and let the other superheroes pick up the slack. They also could have introduced the Flash and Cyborg that way, as to not make it seem forced but almost as if it's necessary for them to come out and have their own movie, even if it's a joint movie together. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what I'm think what I was kind of thinking there. Yeah. It would have given them the opportunity to introduce a couple characters to make the uh, <laughs> Justice League movie just that much better with more background to the characters they had in it. Yeah. I'm going to suggest, sorry, I, I don't mean I'm, I'm kind of distracted because I have one more plot point that I think could have been done. Excuse me, that could have been done for this, these movies that would have totally set them apart from Marvel. And I don't mean to sidebar you on this one, Gordon, but I just I had to do a quick fact check. So in 2002, wait, let me double check that. 2005, this really famous writer artist Alex Ross did this limited series run uh, called Justice. And when I say it's like one of my favorite uh, runs of the comic book, I am not exaggerating. Um, 
<laughs> I was up at the comic store every Saturday on the nose to try to get these books. Um, mm-hmm. So in this series, what happens is, so <laughs> if you if you remember the really really old super uh, super friends show, they yeah. did like a, they did a few seasons where it was them versus the Legion of Doom, which was all the villains. Well, in Justice, and correct and correct me in the comments if I get any of this wrong because it's been a while since I've read it. Um, so the the main players of the Legion of Doom serve as like the the arch nemesis of the Justice League members, and the villains begin to start having a collective recurring dream about the world ending due to a nuclear fallout or some sort of global devastation that it actually brings the world to an end. And you, the, the comic book opens and you see like all the heroes dying and you're like, what the hell is going on? But like, you're, you're realizing, you realize later on that you're, you're witnessing the dream that these guys are all, the villains are all sharing. Well, for once, instead of all coming together just to beat the Justice League for the sake of beating them, they actually take a different standpoint and they're like, as much as they're villains, they don't want the world to end or to be destroyed. And then it becomes a discussion where like the Justice League is over, um, overconfident, overpowered, whatever you want to call it. And so the villains begin to shift the narrative, like Poison Ivy and uh, I'm trying to think like Poison Ivy and I think Toy Man and a few other villains set out and they like, they solve a lot of like the world's problems using their abilities. And like, I believe there's a scene where like Toy Man is like building um, medical equipment in Africa for like children that were like devastated and, and badly injured. And so they shift the narrative on themselves where they're no longer looked at as these like horrible people. And then public perception of the Justice League changes to a negative one because now the villains are like the ones that are actually using their powers in a more, not just a protective role, they're actually making a difference. And the comic just kind of goes on from there. It's an interesting take on this the villain versus hero dichotomy. And I don't want to spoil, like, and I don't really remember all the details, but it's definitely a series worth checking out. And if, you know, DC really wanted to be unique, taking something like that and having that be how you introduce your universe would be totally something different. Yeah. Definitely would be. Anyway, I'll get off my rants now. Especially a way to introduce villains, which so far, to the best of my knowledge, has been no... Other than, you know, introducing them through the heroes, no way of introducing the villains on their own. Mm-hmm. And showing just how powerful most of the villains are. Mm-hmm. And how much the heroes have to, uh, like, level up, so to speak, in some cases, to battle said villains. Mm-hmm. And it would be an interesting experience for the audience, because if I remember how it plays out, I believe Brainiac or Gorilla Grodd was, like, implanting, or maybe... There, there was another villain in the ranks, I believe, that was implanting this dream into all their heads and was actually manipulating them. And, like, that villain is truly, like, a villain villain. And I believe they all kind of come together in the end to take that one down, like the heroes and the villains. I could be wrong about that. But um, I just think that, like, like that's a storytelling moment that 
once if you were to do something like that, then the sky's the limit as far as the spinoffs and the, you know, different people like, I don't know. I just think that DC consistently drops the ball and it frustrates me and they need to just give me a contract to write them a script. <laughs> All three I of think, us to write them a script. Yeah. yeah. I, I think part of the problem, though, is those are all really stories like we would all love to hear a a new type of story but at the end of the day they're not really telling stories they're about making money mm-hmm. and they don't really it, it is it's it's horrible because they have so many good stories that can teach things or just like they're impactful and they don't want because they don't see a clear way to monetize them not realizing that if you tell good stories and it's things that people are really unique that really moved me you're gonna sell more merchandise because of that Mm -hmm. because people are like oh we want to wear the t-shirts we want the posters up on our walls we want collectibles we want this we want that versus well this is a safe formula look at how much money marvel's making by making their kind of time serious movies. Um, so we're going to go with that formula because it's working for them and it's making them tons of money, even mm-hmm. though that's not really what DC stories are originally. No. Yeah, no, I um, personally just want to see Disney envelop the DC universe so that we can just put, I believe it's what, John Favera as the director for all future DC ep- er, movies and TV shows so that we actually get decent movies and TV shows because he's a god among men when it comes to writing uh, cat or casting, writing uh, scripts and all that fun stuff because he's single-handedly one of the most, I believe, single-handedly responsible for most of the Marvel Universe being the way it is. Are you talking about John Favreau? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I, I, couldn't I, I don't. I can't pronounce his name, and I'm not going to attempt to do it. All I know is that I'm pretty sure he's single-handedly responsible for the Marvel universe being the way it is, and they need someone like that for DC. Which is why Disney just needs to put out a trillion dollars and buy DC. See, I will. Not agree like they don't have that much money. I will agree that I definitely think the changing in directors and producers and stuff that DC has faced has definitely been an issue, but I don't know if I really want Disney to do that in a sense, because uh, to, to me, Marvel has always, and I, I don't want to say, and when it comes to the comic books, I've always been more drawn to DC because for a lot of the time, the Marvel storylines are, more i want to say outlandish and maybe childish i don't know if that's the right word but they're more cartoony they're more child friendly whereas the dc universe has gotten into some of the more like the darkest the darker i think i i think i know what you're trying to say because like i'm not familiar enough with the comics to on that but I I think I get at least from working at the bookstore and like checking out the covers and kind of the synopsis on the back of a lot of the graphic novels 
um, the Marvel books were always a little bit more, not necessarily lighthearted because they did also touch on some dark subject matter, but more often than not, they were kind of kid friendly, like you said, whereas Mm -hmm. DC, there would be ones that I would look at and be like, oh, wow, we we're selling this now. Okay. Um, Have you read or seen the movie, uh, The Killing Joke? (laughs) Yeah, when he, how Barbara Gordon ended up in a wheelchair. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the killing joke is kind of that and the Red Hood. Those two movies, one after another, are, or pretty much one and the same, I should say, are. Oh, they're they they get pretty dark. Yeah, they're. I I haven't seen the, but I have seen the Killing Joke, and it gets pretty brutal in some parts. Um. Which is, yeah. Uh, Joker outright beats, I believe it, uh, just outright beats Robin to death and then blows him up. Well, beats him near to death and then blows him up in a warehouse right before Batman can get there to save him. And then (laughs) Ra's al Ghul comes along and wanting to repay a favor he owes the Batman, puts him or puts Robin in the Lazarus pit, which brings him back to life, but he has this very, uh, he has a thirst for blood, I forget the proper name for it, and then he is, just goes on a killing uh, spree. Is that when Jason Todd is Robin? Or the Robin at that point? I can't remember, that's why I have been avoiding saying the name. Okay. I think it is Jason Todd, though. In the killing joke? Yeah, is it not? Is he not, no, the, not, uh, in, not in, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. In um, in Red Hood, right, is the one you're talking about. It, it should be the same Robin. Red Hood. Okay. Yeah, that that was Jason Todd. Yeah, Jason okay. Todd um, got the uh, thir- the thirst. I can't remember the proper name for it. What what you get out of the Lazarus piss when you're revived from the dead. Um, it's some. It's like blood bloodlust. That's the word bloodlust. Mm-hmm. And he is focusing all of his rage on the villains villains in Gotham because Batman refused to kill the Joker after catching him when he just killed Jason, which, if I'm correct, was one of the closest of Batman's sons, so to speak. I'm pretty sure he was closest with Jason compared to any of the other ones. Well, him and Dick Grayson... Him and Dick Grayson had a big falling out right before Jason came on, and it's it's not so much that I don't think he was necessarily Batman's favorite, but he was like, I think Batman always subconsciously knew that Jason Todd was too risky and too bullheaded and too brash that like he always like kind of overprotected him because he knew something bad was going to happen or like he was going to be that potential to go a little bit darker than what he wanted yeah yeah and did you know that that actually was uh voted on by the fans of the comic books when that was actually like back in the day when that was running in the series they had people like i don't know how but i guess by mail because obviously like you couldn't wasn't the internet at the time but like (laughs) they actually asked the audience whether jason should live or die and the audience voted for him to die Wow, kind of fucked up. Yeah, but honestly, I'm happy they did that because now we have this amazing uh, 
cart or we had this amazing TV show or I should say movie and comic book series yeah. that has stemmed from that choice, which have I guys, like it. Have you either of you ever heard of the identity crisis storyline from the Justice League? I do not believe I have. It is feel like I've heard a little bit about it, but it's more I'm married to somebody who loves the DC universe like Batman is both my husband and my father-in-law is one of their favorite characters, so I get told about it all the time. <laughs> well, uh, it's a very uh, dark storyline, and I would love to tell you about it. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to hear a word from our sponsor, and we will be right back. So the Identity Crisis series, uh, another one that really just dove into a dark area of storytelling related to superheroes that i was definitely not expecting um it was released in 2004 i believe summer of 2004 and for people that don't follow comic books this this is like an overall theme that it seems like they always try to do even to this day is they run like through the fall winter with their normal storylines and then every couple of years they'll do these crises and it's ironic because marvel and dc both like use this term like there's the multiverse crisis and there's the identity crisis and infinite crisis on infinite earth oh my goodness it's it's like probably my favorite one and what they do is it's like a summer usually a summer-based event because kids are like out of school they're more able to you know get the local comic store up it's been like this way as long as I can remember and probably way even before that. So anyway, I was a kid and this identity crisis was coming out and all year they're building up to it. And it finally drops. And I'll be quite honest, I at the time was pretty young. Uh, I did not really know what I was getting into. But essentially it's revealed in this storyline that um, a character by the name of Elongated Man, his uh, secret... His, <laughs> I know. I know. That sounds stupid. He's... Think of, I hate him and think love of, him at the same time. Think of Dollar Store Mr. Fantastic. That's basically what it is. Um, <laughs> so he's on a watch and he there's some villain that he, ha- he takes down or whatever. Um, but while this is going on and while he's on duty, his wife, Sue Dibney, is murdered in their apartment. Like, mm-hmm. you're what as you're reading the panels, it's like happening at the same time. And through that, it become it comes out that like they're obviously the other heroes are protective of, elong- of elongated man and they love Sue. She kind of was like a Lois Lane where she was very active at like the JLA headquarters and was very involved, um, kind of like an unofficial member with no powers. And uh, the higher ranks of the Justice League, like the Green Arrows and the Flash and different things, different characters like Hawkman that are kind of, you know, your B tier, uh, they reveal that their prime suspect in the murder of Sue Dibney is Dr. Light. And Gordon, you'll remember Dr. Light from the Teen Titans show. He was, uh, obviously his powers are just like shooting light beams. And he was kind Mm -hmm. of portrayed as like a shitty villain, like not very good, um, kind of haphazard C-level, you know, easily taken down bad guy. Well, yeah. The reason why he's portrayed that way in comic books and TV shows is because at one point, 
when he was before uh, gosh i have to like mind my words because i don't even know if i can use this word on the show so i may have to come back in and bleep this out but dr light at one point was not a cartoonish villain he was a monster and he was a psychopath and he from what i can remember i believe he broke into the jla headquarters while sue dibney was there by herself the team was out he beat her and her and the justice league Mm. basically came into this situation and saw it and they took a vote and after they apprehended him and he was mad that they voted to allow zatanna she's a sorceress uh justice league member very powerful she's kind of like the scarlet witch of the dc universe and they voted to allow her to use her powers to mind wipe Doctor Light, and to alter oh, I his this episode now, or and to series. Al- and to alter his personality to make him like this bumbling buffoon. And needless to say, in this comic book series, Doctor Light has regained his memories. And then this opens up this whole discussion of how the Justice League um, has been mind wiping and altering for years uh at one point they revealed that uh super villains had taken over like mind control wise um some of the members and revealed their secret identities so when the justice league you know figured out how to beat them and stop them they had zatanna do the same thing where she mind wiped them and made them forget everything so then it dives into this whole you know moral thing of these heroes are out here just doing this randomly and you know, at basically, if they determine that they want to do it, they can do it. And should they have that ability to use their powers in that way, essentially, is the whole discussion. And that's a, like Marvel could never like that's not a storyline you're going to find in uh, Avengers. I'm sorry. Well, you almost find something like that when you watch the uh, event uh, Shield TV show in my like. It gets a bit darker in the Shield TV show, in my opinion, for Marvel wise. Yeah, not not as dark as DC has ever gotten. There, there's Marvel will never match the artistry of DC in that matter, but they definitely touch on it in Marvel. But I, that's probably the only the only Marvel show that I can think of that has any graphic anything mm-hmm. in it. That's like noteworthy. And, you know, you look at Marvel's success with Deadpool. All DC had to do was basically make Deadpool, not Deadpool style. I mean, Deadpool rated as far as like the R rating or whatever. Um, Have that be their brand. Have Justice League be the dark, raunchy, like superhero grit, villain grit type of stuff and they would have been doing something totally different and I think they would have definitely got a huge following I agree yes and sounds like that with this awkward science it sounds like that's the end of that conversation um, you never, and, never, never point out the silence Gordon you always just, point out the silence because that's no. the way I am and so I'm going to segue us to uh Happy fun times over in Aquaman land. Oh, um, no. No, don't yep, get me started yep, over here. No. Oh, no. We're starting this to segue into other things later. And <laughs> um, 
There's only one reason why I want to bring up Aquaman. It, it's to say one very simple sentence. One sentence that needs to be said. Fuck Amber Heard. And that's all that needs to be said about the Marvel series. I knew knew that was the sentence. I almost said it with you just to prove that I knew where you were going with that. (laughs) Because I don't, like, I don't know if you guys have followed up on this as much as I have. Because I am a very big Johnny Depp fan. I love him to death, and I wish I could meet him. But I've been following this story kind of closely. And with everything coming out in favor of Johnny now... Or I should say Johnny Depp. I don't know him personally. Can't just call him Johnny. Um, with everything coming out in his favor, Warner Brothers has already said that they are not going to bow to fan pressure to remove Amber Heard as from Mira. Aquaman Two in as Mira, and that they're not even. And there's rumors that they're going to limit her screen time, and that they've said that they will not bow to fan pressure, which. Is all fine and dandy. I just can't wait to see the very first DC movie to pull negative um, revenue when it hits box office. Yeah. Because everyone who's a fan of Johnny Depp or has respect for people who go, went through what he went through are not going to go see this movie. There are Every single community I'm a part of that is thousands of people large have already claimed that they are not going to go watch this movie. They have no plans on supporting them for keeping Amber Heard in the show, which pains me that they are. And it pains me that they're not even giving Johnny Depp any of his, uh, I don't believe they're giving any of his roles back, i.e. in Harry Potter as Grindelwald, which pisses me the fuck off. But that's not now, that's Harry Potter episode later down the road. But my thing is, is this isn't even, and I mean, I've been following it somewhat, not, I don't think quite as closely as you have, maybe, Gordon, but this sh- shouldn't just be about being a fan of Johnny Depp. This is, should be more so a discussion of anybody who doesn't support psychological and physical domestic abuse. Yeah. You know what it, I mean? Like, it, I've exactly. heard the tapes. Like, she's a crazy bitch. And, like, thank God he was smart enough to record some of this stuff. And, again... It goes deeper than that, because by the, her doing this and having all these false accusations, that's that's only problematic for actual victims. And he is the victim. Like, I, yeah. I, so it, I it's such a rabbit hole. I just did a real quick Google search because I wanted some numbers on this. Um, my sister and I signed one of the petitions. I think there might be multiple ones floating around to have her removed. The one on change.org right now, the one that I pulled up, has over 1,100,000 signatures on it. Can you drop a link in the Discord so I can sign it? Yeah. (laughs) And now, subsequently, you can go look at uh, giving Johnny Depp all his roles back. And there's just, like, so many people who wish he... Like, I know people that aren't even going to go... and watch the um, new uh, Fantastic Beast movies because they took out Johnny Depp. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I am too. I definitely will not be doing it. I mean, it's upsetting, but yeah. Wow. So DC really just doesn't give a shit, is what it like it looks like. 
Or at least exactly. brothers, yeah. yeah. Warner Brothers does yeah. not give a single fuck. Ugh. I, I totally forgot about that connection until you said that. I mean, I knew about the case, but I totally forgot about her playing Mira because she was yeah. forgettable in the part. Well, and that, that's something I was about to say. If we just remove the controversy, which but just to remove the controversy for conversation's sake for a second, she's a shit actress on top of it. Mm-hmm. She sucked in that role. Do you, know like who before... they should, do you know who they should get? Because Mira was, I believe, in the comic books a little bit older than Aquaman and a little bit more like regal and powerful. They need to get Connie Britton from season one of American Horror Story, that beautiful redhead. Get her in there and have her do the part. I'm telling you, it'd be uh, ten times better. I'm not familiar with her, but I have seen a fan edit where someone took um, Amelia Clark. Yes, and, yes, that's her name. Yes. Oh, from Lord of the Rings. Or, God, or Game for, of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. And like, they posted it on Facebook like it was happening, and I got so freaking excited because everybody in the comments is going, "Oh my God, the Cal and Khaleesi are going to be back together," and blah blah blah. And then mm-hmm. I put, I clicked on it and I read it, and I was like, "Fuck, it's a fan edit." Like, I got excited. I'm like, I'm going to get to go and actually watch Aquaman 2. No. No. I, I, fuck that. Yeah. So, I mean, like, they have options. They have people. And Amelia Clark is a much better actress. They have better chemistry together, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, if they didn't want Amelia Clark or if she didn't want the role, there are, like you said, who could take up that mantle and would do it better just removing again removing the controversy from it just looking at it from an acting standpoint mm-hmm. would do it so much better and then and, they would actually get to make some money off their movie and they need they need that actress to be a strong dynamic person because mm-hmm. there's so many storylines where atlantis will get it it is atlantis right yes I, I think i think so where Aquaman will be with Justice League, Aqualad will be with the Teen Titans, Aquagirl will be probably with Titans West or East or whatever, and Mira is the one down there holding off any attack and defending the, the kingdom. So, like, they need somebody that's memorable and a dynamic actress, not an abuser, alleged abuser. I think it's is it still alleged? I don't it's know. Defi- I don't think it's alleged anymore. I'm pretty sure it's uh, confirmed because. Uh, Johnny Depp has been winning his last couple of court cases in his favor. So I'm pretty sure if it's alleged, it's very loosely and more leaning towards... um, Proven. Proven, yes. Just wanted to cover our ass, but yeah. Yeah. My my husband and I were actually talking about this um, yesterday, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and just about how this is still going on and how, like you said, Warner Brothers is keeping her on, but they've taken him off movies, even though the story's flipped now. No, this is the decision we made. Whereas, I if it was the about, other way around, well, if it was the other way around, but also just about any other studio probably would have jumped on whatever. Like, yes, bow to fan- fans or who pay your bills. Mm-hmm. So you you. To some degree, you bow to fan pressure. Absolutely. You don't people, have... people need to know they're being heard. If they're they're going to vote with their wallet if they don't. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the Sonic movie, for example. People oh, yeah. voiced their opinions on how shitty the character design was. And what did they do? 
they delayed the movie and went back and redesigned uh, the entire character. Yeah. Which honestly is was awesome. Fans mm. under like finally felt that a like a movie comp- production company was listening to them and taking their opinion into account, which is a great feeling. Yeah. And let's be honest, like after the pandemic, like these these studios are losing money left and right like it's not now's not a time to buck your you know dig your heels in and you know <laughs> i can't say one thing on uh johnny Depp's behalf since we're still on this topic is oh, are you even though he yeah i am even though he got fired from the um uh fantastic beast set his contract uh had him sign for the movie and because the way he sets up his contracts it's, oh, uh, he still got you paid, pay didn't me he? all up front, oh, no matter ooh. how much of this movie I do. So yeah. they had to pay him for the full movie, even though they fired him. Good for him. So he got all the money for that movie, and I'm pretty sure any other movie he planned on doing and had signed contracts for, he got paid for because of the way his contracts were. That's awesome. Where he gets paid up front and then yeah, does the movie. I, I do remember reading something about that as well. Which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so refocusing on DC. Um, Gordon, what the F is going on with the WB's costume design, though? Because they look, some of them oh, look dude. really bad. Sh- should we bring up Harley Quinn Ugh. in Suicide Squad and how she looked like um, the main character out of Chainsaw Lollipop, the video game that I'm sure no one but me knows about because I'm weird? can confirm that yes but um so you're saying they ripped off her costume design i think it's not a rip off because in the video game she was wearing a skirt and all that but it the color scheme was the color scheme's the same but it's a very common color scheme all i'm saying that they made her very slutty and disgusting she does look look like that character yes i did Drop it in the Discord so I can put it on up for people. Yeah, that are yeah, watching. I, I, I got you. <clears throat> um, ugh. yeah. Let's let's dive into this character real quick because this is something that's like very dear to me. Um, are you able? So, Sorry, I was asking her if she was able to uh, upload the picture because she was having issues with a uh, Discord. It's gonna yeah. Is letting me put the picture up. The the bots don't like me today. <laughs> there you go, Steve. That's the picture right there. Oh, for if, God's sake! It's if, literally <laughs> identical. Exactly, except for the skirt. It it's identical and it's but, horrible. And are that these, are that these leg game warmers. Is actually, yes. Is she wearing like is this Debbie Gibson from the eighties? What the fuck is going if on? If you can, uh, like, if you have a way of playing this video game, I recommend anyone go and play Chainsaw Lollipop or watch. I believe it's Jack Septicai play it because it's by far it's in a hilarious series of battling zombies as this character. Okay, might be worth but checking out. That's off topic. Let's get back to Harley Quinn. Okay. <laughs> Again, this is I feel like this has just been me ranting for 45 minutes and I apologize. Um, so the origin of Harley Quinn was actually the Batman animated series from the early 90s. Paul Dini and Bruce Tim designed this character as a one off one episode appearance. Um, she came the origin of Harley Quinn actually came from the soap opera Days of Our Lives. Harley Quinn was a rollerblading jester type 
character in a dream sequence. And she was played by a comedian and actress, Arlene Sorkin. Deanie was friends with Arlene. And so he based the character like around her personality and around her looks. Like when she came into the studio to voice the part, she basically spoke in her normal Brooklyn accent. And it was originally designed that she was just going to be in one episode. Well, because of popularity in the TV show, she was brought back for more. And they were the production team at the time was having an uh, issue because the debate was giving the Joker a love interest kind of humanizes him. And like, do we really want to go that route or do we want to keep him as like the crazy bad guy? It was like a whole debate. But Harley Quinn's commercial popularity uh, actually kind of made them make that decision. And that's when they explored uh, the power dynamic and the, the domestic, ironically, the, the domestic abuse, we're circling back to that subject that she was experiencing from the Joker. And that saw her kind of strike out on her own in the TV show, uh, befriending Poison Ivy and kind of taking a anti-hero role, similar to Catwoman. At one point, uh, Harlequin, Catwoman, and Poison Ivy had this, their own uh, comic book series called the Gotham Sirens where they were villains but they did some good this character is a, like a legacy in the comic books because it's the first character that I can think of that was taken from the TV show of its that originated in the TV show transitioned to comic books and landed and I want to say it was quite a few years before like she appeared in this TV show and then she wasn't, that was like 1992 that she was introduced and she didn't make it to the comic books till the night, till 1999. And it's needless to say, what frustrates me about this is the character is iconic and they took it to the point with these films where they, they saw the commercial success that she had in the nineties. that was organic and they tried to make it a cash cow. And they, they altered her, they played off of her personality and they played off of her sexuality. And it's frustrating in a sense because that's never really like who she was. She was, you almost sympathized with her for the, like, because she was originally, you know, the Joker's therapist in Ar Arkham Asylum and she fell in love with him. And that's a whole like Stockholm Syndrome type of situation. And the story is incredibly powerful. And now you see this representation of her that like, almost makes light of the psychological abuse and the domestic abuse. And then they try to push her on you in such a way every, for three Halloweens, every basic white girl in anywhere has been dressing up in this slutty costume yeah. and totally missing the whole point of the character. And it's frustrating. It's exhausting. And I don't like it. <laughs> and I, I'm sure we can all agree that the red and black costume design was a much in my opinion, my favorite is, mm -hmm. uh, costume for Harley Quinn. Yeah. Like, they and nailed it, and they, they didn't have to change it. And there's symbolism in that, because, like, you know, the Jester is, is often an archetype of, like, the fool, and the one that's just only around for entertainment and then is disposable. And that was kind of what, although she was madly in love with the Joker, it ain't, he would constantly, if uh, things were going bad, he'd make his escape and leave her behind. He'd you know, he, it was a love loss situation where she, he never cared about her the way she cared about him. And 
that power dynamic and watching her and reading her overcome that and kind of come to that realization and come into her own is an incredible story to tell. And they just missed the mark with the comic books. Like they're, I don't know how they don't capture the gravitas of the situation. They just throw her in skimpy clothes and kind of make fun of mental health and make her like this quirky, I'm going to bash her skull in. And like, it just, yeah, I coming I don't know. Coming from someone who was vaguely familiar with her backstory and the character development but didn't know about it that much, uh you're you're making me want to go do a lot more research into the original character characterization of her because I I like her character in the movies, but it is very just kind of goofy. I like Margot Robbie. I think that's how you say her name. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I enjoy her as an actress. I enjoy her in the part. But you sitting here telling me that there's so much more depth to this character is making me a lot more interested in her her history. In the so that's probably something I'll be doing. Not I'll be doing my work. Of course, but um... <laughs> none of us work at work. <laughs> it's just and it's one of those things where and you're, I agree like when I first saw her in the first Suicide Squad I it wasn't as I wasn't I wasn't as enraged as I feel about it now but like going back and like I never got made it through Birds of Prey because Birds of Prey again them using that title for what they developed is absolutely reprehensible because the origin of birds of prey we talked about the killing joke barbara gordon gets Mm -hmm. shot by the joker put in a wheelchair she feels powerless her whole world has crumbled she puts her mind and her intelligence into um becoming the oracle and basically being the behind the scenes superhero that had all the information all the details and then she assembles this powerful women female squad of the huntress and black canary and then several other like Vixen was in it for a while and like other females have rotated in and out. And that's Barbara Gordon's story. That's her legacy in the time period where she was one of the first disabled superheroes. That's her. That's not oh. Harley Quinn. And so when that, when I saw that, and I trust me, when I, they announced the film, I'm thinking this is going to be the redemption or like what I anticipated them doing is coming into the film, having Barbara Gordon already wheelchair-bound and having the Birds of Prey established, having her, having Harley Quinn come in contact with them, and then doing the character development of, wow, the Joker treats me like crap, here's a badass squad of females that are doing some good, and, you know, maybe she doesn't totally become a hero, plays up that anti-villain or anti-hero aspect and, like, works alongside them. But no, they just took the name and shit all over it and forced more Ro- Margot Robbie commercial bullshit down our throat. And it's like they pretend to be about female empowerment without actually being about female empowerment. Yeah, that, that changes my viewpoint of it because I, I did not know that about the origin of Birds of Prey, the Birds of Prey. I went into that again because... DC is not a hundred comes to the comics and the origin stories. Um, I went into it as just, you know, let's, let's see what kind of hot mess 
was going to be today. And <laughs> yeah. um, Drew and I, we actually, he and I both really enjoyed it. It was, we're like, you know, this is improving on the quality of movies we've been getting out of DC recently, but knowing that they removed that core character changes my viewpoint on it a bit. Because that you're removing not only a core character in a very powerful story from the origin of that team, you're removing some representation, which is something that I know a lot of studios claiming to work on being more inclusive in their representation of all of the different groups of disabled or underrepresented um, people under under yes yeah that, that's that's the term i was looking for thank you um and that's something that not to switch so mm. abruptly i'm sorry for doing no, this but no, this, this is like something that going. i did something that i did want to mention um as that, that representation part of it so i it's not something that i ever really considered how impactful it could be until I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, like I had watched the Marvel movies, I had seen female characters on screen, superheroes, and you know, that's all well and good. When it came time, first Wonder Woman movie, aside from the fact that she's my favorite superhero, that's who my mom raised me and my sister watching the Linda Carter TV show. Mm-hmm. And we were very much like she had us just loving Wonder Woman from the time that we were little. And it gives me that special. Is that something that I shared with my mom? Um, not only that, but going in watching that for that was the first female superhero movie where I was able to look at that character and be like oh my god I can see myself to some degree represented on screen because it wasn't just a pure a purely white actress uh Gal Gadot is Israeli I believe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I mean not the same as me but having that little bit more color in the skin tone Mm -hmm. it was impactful like I there were points in that movie where I was almost moved to tears. Now, I'm not saying that that movie does not have its problems because I, I have been accused of swearing that it's the best movie ever and ignoring any issues that it might have. <laughs> but for me personally, that movie has a lot of meaning, a lot of different layers of meaning. And that was the first time I understood began to understand why representation in movies and TV shows is truly that important. Mm-hmm. It had never been something that I had heard before then. It's so it, it's funny because I, I mean, it wasn't superhero related, but I, I remember watching the show and, and feeling that feeling of finally having on a, a character on the screen that like looked or sounded or whatever. And it was like, Oh, so this is what everybody means when they talk about having that character that, it resonates with you and it's like you feel represented on a screen. It's a yeah. powerful feeling. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So back to switching back to birds of prey a little bit, the fact that um, they took that opportunity away from a group of people yeah. to see some representation of themselves on screen is a really big deal. How many, like, how many little wheelchair-bound girls out there don't know that 
Barbara Gordon for most of the 90s and early 2000s was holding the DC universe together by a computer screen. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, like how, how key she was to all of the heroes that you're used to seeing. Like she was, from what I'm understanding of you saying, she was basically their backbone mm-hmm. behind the scenes. But still, she was, like you said, she was what was holding it together. And that is a representation that should not go unshown. I agree completely. And so do I. It's, it's not a forced representation. It happened organically in the comic books. So yeah. right now we're in this culture where we talked about this in a previous episode. They're forcing all of this faux representation and they're ignoring. I, I think this goes back to my storm rant. They're, they're, they're pushing, they're changing characters and they're pushing different agendas, but they're ignoring actual source material that if they just included they would accomplish their mission and fans would be happy because they're giving getting fan service and it's just frustrating it's uh... yeah it will always be frustrating until they Some companies in... never do the right thing until they let us write the next few movies we're going <laughs> to we're, we're we'll not fix... going to be happy <laughs> we could fix it all like give three movies i think we could uh turn this around Right, that's all. That's all I need. <laughs> At least get it started. <laughs> all right. Well, does anybody else have anything that we want to touch on? Because I know we're going a little bit long here, and uh, I just want to wrap up. But before we go, anything we need to touch on that we missed? Um, no. I think. Um, yeah, I have a fun fact for anyone who doesn't know it. Just because I need at least have one in every episode. Mm-hmm. Um. There's a character that is owned by both Marvel and DC named Access, and his sole purpose is to keep the universe separate. What? Um, you know what the Source Wall is, right? Isn't that the mm-hmm. wall that divides the two worlds? Yes. Okay. Access's job is to make sure no one crosses that wall on either side. So he is owned by both Marvel and DC to be used as necessary to keep anyone who ventures that far away, so to speak. I do Or not from, know. like, say they somehow make a portal in the Marvel Universe to go to the DC Universe, Access would show up and tell them to stop their shit or suffer his wrath, so to speak. That's pretty cool. I didn't know about that. Oh. Uh, that's... Yeah, I have a photo of him. I'm going to drop it into the Discord so we can use it in the video. That is, um, that's pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, I did, not many people know about that. I have a lot of fun facts about the superheroes, but that can be for a future episode as it's getting to that time Yeah. To wrap up. Well, I'd be curious to just, uh, we should maybe, like, see a little bit more about access and see like i would truly like to do a dc versus marvel universe where we like put like uh, characters versus characters and and see who would win in a fight and maybe that would be a good time to kind of touch on like axis and how he's appeared um throughout the throughout the different series yeah well i agree it'd also be a good time just to nonchalantly just talk about weird things we know about the characters in either universe. Yeah. Just have a more casual kind of conversation. 
All right. Well, with that being said, folks, I want to thank you both for being here for another great episode. Uh, for, you, for those of you listening, thank you for being here. Please uh, leave us a like, leave us a comment, leave us a rate and a review. Anything we'll, we, uh, we can receive will benefit the show and our development going forward. We are trying to build a community here. Uh, please consider joining our Discord server. It'll be linked down below. It's a good place for us to all get together and discuss different topics and different episodes. If you'd like to support the show, we also have a Patreon set up with some behind-the-scenes exclusive content for you to view. And again, we thank Anchor for making this episode possible. Without them, we could not do this. And with that being said, uh, let Let's be nerds. We'll be back next week for another episode and we want to thank you again and we'll see you then. Let's be nerds is hosted and executive produced by Gordon Bryant and me, Stephen J. McLean. Today's co-host was Lizette Ayala. You can find her on Instagram at X shadow song X. Let's Be Nerds is a production of Speakeasily Productions. Our social media manager is Kylie Gregg. Our theme song was composed by Robert Van Jacobs. You can follow him on Instagram at Bobby underscore Spectre. To keep up with the latest about the show, follow us on Twitter at Let's the Letter B Nerds or join our Discord server, which will be linked in the description box below. Thank you to Anchor for sponsoring our show, and thank you for listening.